Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Helping Hands of Our Community, addressing the Social Determinants of Health podcast, where we highlight the incredible work of individuals, agencies, and organizations who are committed to creating healthy and thriving lives through their community-engaged work. Thank you for taking time to support us by tuning in, listening, and learning something new today. My name is Roger Saclupe, and today I am solo. Co-host Drew is not able to join us, but that's okay. We will spend some awesome time here with our guests right here. I'm just really excited about who we have today in our studio. Greg Jackson is somebody that everybody in the Charlotte community and region and, and in the nation, they need to meet Greg Jackson. I had the opportunity of meeting Greg not so long ago through a mutual friend. And from then on, we just connected. I am really honored that he said yes to come to our podcast to let us know a lot about what he's doing for our community. Let me tell you a little bit here about Greg before we start asking him some questions here. So Greg Jackson is a native of Bronx, New York, who adopted Charlotte as his hometown now. He is a father of three girls, was a rapper and a sous chef when the September protests began. He showed up with others to protest the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department at its headquarters the day after the shooting of Keith Lamont Scott. But a crucial conversation that day changed his trajectory. Eventually, he founded the nonprofit Heal Charlotte, helped train officers how to communicate with the community in volatile situations, and has created an after-school camp for at-risk youth in his Northeast Charlotte neighborhood of Orchard Trace condominiums. Serving the community and being a bridge of communication between the community and its officials is what drives him. In his words, if everybody did a little, no one will have to do a lot. Greg has tons of experience connecting with individuals, organizations, community stakeholders here in the Charlotte region. He and I have had several conversations about the importance of relationship and connectivity, and I'm just honored to have him on the show today. Greg, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. It was a great intro. I really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no worries. Now, you and I are connected uh, through where we were born. You you were born in the Bronx. Yeah. I was born in Manhattan. So yeah. yeah. So we're New Yorkers. Yeah, two New York City guys just trying to make some change. <laughs> now I will say that I, I did adopt North Carolina back in the in the mid eighties. My New York accent has definitely faltered away and I've embraced this southern twang now. <laughs> but you you still got it. You still got the New York accent. Yeah, it comes and goes. When I get around other New Yorkers, it comes a little harder. And then, you know, I've been working on you know, saying y'all. <laughs> so I got I got y'all in my vocab now. Okay, it's in your dictionary. At first it was you guys all day. You guys. You now guys. It's y'all. Yeah, now it's y'all. Well, Greg, for our listeners out there who who would really love to know Greg Jackson, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man, I'm a 36, 80s baby, born in the Bronx, 83. So I'm a I'm a hip hop baby. All right. My mom raised me, single parent for most of my life. Shout out to my mom. My dad came into my life when I was about. 13. Rest in peace to my dad. He's amazing. And I am just a young kid from the Bronx that just loved to serve. My mom is kind of weird. She's a Christian, but a hip-hop head, right? And she um, introduced me to the wonderful world of Common, Most Deaf, O.C. Jules, just guys like that that were just real lyricists. So I fell in love with hip-hop when I was about eight. Just started to fall in love with the craft and making music and fell in love with doing culinary Went to school to the Art Institute of New York and just really indulged in that world, man. So I'm an artist at heart. 
always creating. You know, shout out to all the creators in the world. That's really me, man. Father of three girls, Jayla, Gianna, Anel, 14, 9, and 3. So pray for me. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man. And I'm a conduit for my community, servant of the Lord, shepherd of sheep. You know, that's that's me, wrapped in a bundle. And we appreciate you letting us know about what drives you. We're going to talk a lot about the importance of, of healing and the importance of connectivity. Our podcast is about the social determinants of health. And I feel like what you're doing right now in the community, what you've been doing for these past few years, is very pivotal in addressing social determinants, Yeah, particularly in the community that you're serving right now. So a lot of us feel like we want to be able to serve our community in, in, in whatever capacity we might be able to. So some of us volunteer, some of us might serve on particular boards of agency, some of us might even take it a step further. But you have rooted yourself in a community who really needs support, who really needs somebody to say, I want to be with you. I want to be able to provide sustainability. Yeah. So we would love for you to talk about that. What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be rooted in a community and to provide that sustainability? It comes from my grandmother in the Bronx. She was the landlord of my building. Like everybody knew her. My grandmother would walk down the street and have an hour-long conversation with somebody, and we're just going to the store, right? I lived in Baltimore for some time, and my grandfather in Baltimore, he worked at a flea market. He sold fruit on the corner in Baltimore. And everybody knew my grandfather as the fruit produce man. He would wake me up in the morning and take me down to Baltimore Street or just wherever he was at. And he would literally have so many conversations with people. And I would watch people will go to him before they would go to the supermarket. They'll go to him to get the fruit. It was real crazy for me. And I don't think I really like understood what was going on in that time. But as I like serve more now, it started there with my grandparents. And then like my dad, God rest his soul, great guy. But he was from the other side of the tracks. So my dad was a drug dealer and he was serving his community in a whole nother way, right? He was from another side of the tracks. So in that sense, I got two sides of how to be rooted in a community. Everybody knew who my dad was too, you know? You walk up the street, you have an hour-long conversation with somebody. And I was in that world for a little while and I understood that, man, I've done so much stuff that wasn't positive for my community that I wanted to be able to do something that was just rooted in positivity and integrity. And I always had those traits of being able to talk to people, whether it was making music or, you know, cooking in, in the kitchen. I always had those traits of just being social, being a socialite. It's just part of my DNA. And I really wanted to be able to change the legacy of my family and what people knew, you know, Greg Jackson to be, whether it's in the Bronx, Baltimore, Charlotte, you know, I wanted to change what that looked like. So that was my personal goal of what I wanted to do, you know, and then being able to impact people's lives in a positive way, starting to understand my voice, my value, and where that can take me and where that can take other people. You know, a lot of it stemmed from my grandparents watching them and then watching my mother and watching my father, you know, interact with people and just be socialites and the blessings that they would get from right. pouring into people. So a lot of different influences. Yeah, man. Yeah, a lot of different absolutely. Influences. Good, better, and different. We all have influences that we end up rooting within ourselves on how we relate and connect with other people. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take us back to September 2016. And I know this is part of your story that I definitely want to be able to have you tell it because it's, it's your narrative. It's your story. But I also feel like it's important for listeners to sort of know the trajectory from that perspective as well. And if you can take us back to September 2016, 
sort of kind of lay yeah. out the foundations to what happened and then what happened to you and then how we're how we're here today. First of all, in 2016, the end of 2015, there were just a lot of young black men, women just being murdered by officers in America. A lot of lives lost in that time span. So by the time that it happened with Charlotte and Keith Lamont Scott, there was a buildup that was happening amongst everybody, all people of color. It was just built up and built up. And um, I was actually working on a song called Bang Bang, and it was about basically... uh, You know, no matter if you're a blood crip, if you're a cop, whatever you are, if you live by the gun, you die by the gun, it's the same thing, you know? And I was speaking towards all that gun violence, and uh, it happened here in Charlotte. One of my uncles on my father's side is Grandmaster Casanova from Cold Crush Brothers. And uh, he used to always tell me when he started hip-hop that hip-hop was the CNN for the streets, basically. And somehow we kind of lost that essence of what it was supposed to be. And I always kept that in the back of my head, that I needed to be reporting what happened. So when the Keith Lamont Scott thing happened, I got to a moment where it was like, this is not the time to rap. Music isn't going to make this impact right now. And then I seen what happened on Old Concord. And I knew that wasn't Charlotte. I have been here long enough. I know some good people here. That's not how we conduct ourselves. I'm from a family of people that protested in New York. And that's, that's not how we protest. That's not how we get people's attention and bring awareness so people can take us seriously. So the next day, I talked to my brother, and he was protesting on Old Concord, and he called me, and he was like, yeah, I'm out here. And, you know, he's upset, and I told him, go home. I was like, I'm going to show you how to protest tomorrow. If you want to come with me, you can come with me. So originally, it was big bro trying to show my little brother how to conduct yourself, right? And um, I went downtown. I called my buddy up, Mo Crane, who's another rapper, and I said, hey, man, come with me downtown. We're going to go protest. We're going to share our opinions. And we got downtown, and there were people on Trade and Try On with, like, tape over their mouths and signs up. And I'm from New York, man. We loud mouth. You know, we don't be quiet. You know, we voice our opinions. So I didn't understand what was happening at all. And um, I seen Captain Mike Capania out there, and I went up to Captain Mike, and I told him, I said, I'm looking for Captain Garns. I'm looking for Cap. I knew Captain Garns before. I was like, I'm looking for Captain Garns. Tell him Greg Jackson's here, and we need to talk about doing this Stop the Violence event. And um, Captain Mike said, okay, cool. I'll, I'll let him know. Fast forward 10 minutes, I'm out there, and I looked at my friend Mo Crane, and I said, yo, we're leaving here. We're not standing on this corner doing this silent protest thing. That's not happening. And they're like, where you want to go? I said, let's go to CMPD. You know, that's who we have a problem with. And their headquarters is right down the block, man. Let's just go there. So we started a 10-second countdown. By the time we got to two, I started walking. And by the time we got to the Ritz, everybody was behind us. And we had a moment where we looked at each other and we were like, yo, this is real. This is happening. Yeah, this is happening. So keep walking. You know, we're going to walk. So we started marching and got to CMPD. And what was crazy was when we got to the back entrance of CMPD, the same officer, Captain Mike Capania, that I seen on North Trying to Trade was the one that came outside. And I seen him and he seen me. We had already talked up the street. So he knew what I was about. He knew I wasn't there for conflict. I was there to, you know, be a vessel and really make a bridge, right? So we started talking, and I'm yelling, and I'm telling them, you know, everything that I think about my culture, my people, how great we are, how valuable we are. The status quo isn't what we are, and 
who we are. Our circumstances don't define us. And I'm saying it in a much, you know, <laughs> You're much different more, way. You're more animated than yeah, right. I was much more animated than that. And, you know, I'm cursing. And uh, he's looking at me. Well, there was anger there. It was anger. It was real anger there. There was, it there was, was anger, pain, sadness. All of it. All of it wrapped in one. And But also hope was there, right? It was there's still hope there that, you know, something can come from this. And I told him, I said, we want to be looked at as more than criminals, as more than just angry black men, you know, we're fathers, we're sons, you know, we're, we're college students, we're graduates, we're alumni, we're all of these things. And we're getting called everything but a child of God, right? And from there, he looked at me and he said, you know what? I don't want to just be looked at as just a guy with a badge on because I'm, I'm not, you know, this badge doesn't define me. I go home and I take this thing off and I'm a regular person. And I think in that moment, we had a moment where it was, okay, okay, well, then what do we do? You know, and then he said, well, meet me next week. So I said, I'll meet with you next week. And we had this handshake on the news and we had no idea we were being filmed. And we had this handshake and I turned around to everybody that was with me. And I said, this is what we came down for, to grab the attention and have this type of conversation so we can build some bridges and change the trajectory of what happens in the community. And um, from there, I got home and it was all over Fox. It was all over Fox News. People were calling me. They're like, you on Fox News right now? You gave some cop a handshake and people were going crazy. In that moment, I knew that I wasn't supposed to be on Fox as the main protester. There were probably people out there that had been protesting and doing this work for years that weren't on television. But for some reason, in that moment, I was the one on television being the face and the voice of what was going on. Honestly, man, I took that real serious. Yeah, I took that real serious because I know there were people before me that really put their lives on the line. And meanwhile, I've been out here playing around, you know, just, <laughs> you know, what what have I really done for anybody else? So, yeah, I went back to work and I'm telling you, man, those next couple of weeks at work, uh, being a sous chef was just kind of like the hardest times ever because my brain just wasn't in that kitchen no more. I was thinking of programs and thinking about how to help kids and how to build communication with CMPD so kids don't grow up hating officers and officers aren't looking at my kind of people like criminals. I was fixated on it. I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking of dreams and thinking of visions and just writing and scribbling down. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And uh, shout out to Vinyl Pie, where I was working at in Huntersville. Uh, they, came, they came to me and they were like, Greg, you're not here no more, man. You're just, you're not here. <laughs> they and saw you were looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, man. They paid me in advance and allowed me to go and just live out what this path that God put me on. And um, I seen a bunch of kids in my neighborhood running around after we trained police. This is what really opened me up. We're from New York, so you know how the blue wall is in New York. It's very tall. You can't get to a chief of police in New York. And uh, two weeks after the protest, I was in Chief Putney's office. We were literally talking about training. And he's like, what do you got? What do you think? And I was telling him, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. And they were like, have you been to our training? I was like, no. He's like, well, at least go through it and then criticize it. Went through his training, and then I seen some flaws that could probably be worked on. And they had officers going through, like, reenactment classes. It was like a workshop of reenactment of what a neighborhood looks like in a time of duress, right? It was officers playing citizens. That doesn't hit home. It doesn't land. So when I seen that, I said, man, we got to fix that. If you were a banker and, you know, you're a bank teller and your coworkers were playing robbers, right? 
where's the seriousness in that, right? You're going to end up laughing at some point. I said, well, you need to let me bring my friends in. I don't know what happened, but that's how I know that was all God, man, because he said, okay. Wow. And allowed me to bring 25 of my friends in to CMPD's training facility and just let us yell at cops. It was real therapeutic for us because we were able to get a lot of anger out, but also in a professional manner to where, you know, we had measurable outcomes and we had an agenda that we wanted to accomplish. But my friends came in and we reenacted, you know, crime scene like Keith Lamont Scott was dead right there, the yellow tape up and we're yelling at officers and their job is to be able to communicate and empathize and sympathize and humanize themselves beyond the badge. And that was amazing to watch 25 officers attempt to do that, you know, because it was something that I didn't think they would even think about doing, right? right? And uh, we ended up doing that. 77 officers went through, 25 officers stayed on, and uh, worked with Captain Mike Campagna that whole time, the same gentleman that was in a video with me. He's now Major Mike Campagna. He runs that team right now. The Constructive Conversational Team is what it's called, CCT. They come out for events like that to be able to conversate. And it was real cool, man. Officers would call me, and uh, I remember we had a Latino shooting on Central. Officer-involved shooting of a Latino man who was driving a car, got into a crash. Officers came out there probably the next day, man, and I had officers call me like, I'm not looking for warrants. I wasn't looking for tickets. I was trying to build a conversation. And they're out there with business cards. They're getting business cards. A couple of them went to have coffee with a couple of people from the community just to hear their... I was like, man, okay, maybe I, maybe I, I should be doing this. Like, maybe I should be doing this. And um, I appreciated Chief just being transparent and opening his doors. And me being from New York, I just valued that different. I was like, this never happened in New York. You can't even get a detective meeting in New York, right? So moving from there, just wanted to do more. And seeing kids in my neighborhood, I'm in Orchard Trace, right behind Hidden Valley, low income kids. They don't have a fair shot. So. I wanted to make sure that I was always providing opportunities for them. Shout out to Jeff Preptit, Mo Crane. Shout out to Antoine Smith, my partner. Uh, we started an after-school program in my neighborhood. Three hours, safe haven. Just come, feed you for free, free program. We just want to mentor you, do life with you. And uh, I met my pastor, Theo Schaefer, and he had 18 years of youth development. He just started training us on how to deal with kids. And then from there, man, 12 kids turned into 15, 15 turned into 20, 20 turned into 35. And we got 35 kids coming every day, 3.30 to 6.30, you know, just to get mentored and be around somebody that's just going to be there consistently, right? I could have just been there chilling, you know? They just wanted to see the same face every day and build that trust with somebody. Yeah, then we started Hill Charlotte, became a, a nonprofit organization, a 501c3, and build it a board and all of these business tactics that happened when we became a nonprofit, the norm, the normalities, but it's it's a learning process. Yeah. It's yeah. Process. We just jumped right in, man. We didn't we had no idea what we were Head doing. Head first, feet first. Head first, feet first. All you know, all walking on a tightrope of faith. <laughs> so I want to take us and I appreciate you sharing information that again I feel like our listeners should know about because we tend to forget about how impactful relationships, connectivity, events are in our lives. And then people just move on. But there's still a root to why we do something, why we think a certain way. Sometimes we need to attack that root and sometimes we need to nourish that root. And I feel like what you're telling us is you did a little bit of both. You attacked that root of how law enforcement 
their perception of a community and also community's perception of law enforcement, attacking that route, but then also feeding that route with something different. And uh, and I definitely appreciate the work that you guys have been doing. For listeners who really don't know about the Hidden Valley community, can you tell us a little bit about the Hidden Valley community? Um, demographics, you know, Hidden Valley is not, but maybe what, three miles from uptown Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, it, it resides in the university city zone, yeah. um, but it's also a, a community that's been around for a long time, but yet not a lot of people associate positivity with Hidden Valley. And that, I feel like that is a narrative that you and Heal Charlotte are definitely trying to change. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Hidden Valley is a multifamily home, housing in there. Average housing median is median income is probably around 40,000, 41, around 40 to 44 think the demographic of age is mostly it's like 55. It's not a lot of millennials in that area that's starting to change now because younger kids are growing up. You know, in the past, you had the Hidden Valley Kings, which um, put a cloud over Hidden Valley. But in the last, I want to say, seven, seven years, maybe, it's been truly a different community. It's not that perception that everybody has of Hidden Valley. It does have its its troubles, its hardships, like any other neighborhood. But it's a growing neighborhood as far as they have a lot of community people in that neighborhood that are looking to do some great stuff there. That gets overlooked by what whatever somebody's perception is of what Hidden Valley is. It's a rich area, you know, not rich in money, but rich in community. Mm-hmm. Rich in culture, rich in community. Rich in culture, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of potential there, you know, for a lot of stuff to happen in that area. It seems like the city thinks that too. Being with the light rail going through there, all it is all of a sudden it's deemed worthy of investment. I love that area. I live in Orchard Trace, which is right behind Hidden Valley. We have now called Orchard Trace and every apartment complex down all the way to Sugar Creek from North Tryon to Sugar Creek on Reagan Drive. That's the Reagan corridor now. And the goal with that is to be able to take some responsibility and accountability for what happens on Reagan Drive, 85 and Sugar Creek, because Hidden Valley gets tagged on to that a lot. They get that tag of what goes on on 85 and Sugar Creek is not Hidden Valley. But I I love that area. Some great people there, a lot of wisdom over there and some support over there, too. And you made it your purpose to be housed there in Orchard Trace community. Yeah, man, I live there. You know, I was living there before I was doing Hill Charlotte. Um, And I think it's real important to be place based where you're at. That's where you're going to make an impact. You should be there. You know, it shouldn't be a visit spot for you. You should be tangible to the people that live there. And there should be a lot of relationship building that can happen. I believe that in everything. My grandmother would tell me it used to be like that back in the day. You knew your nurse, you knew your doctor, you knew your police officers. A lot of people were either, if they didn't live there, they were stationed there for their job. Doctor's office was in the neighborhood. <laughs> so I think that played a, a big part of community being vital and resilient, being able to support your own. You know, the, the black dollar used to travel through the neighborhood 77 times a week. Now it only travels about seven before it leaves and ventures out to another company. You know, there's just the support of your own is so important. That's why we need to be there. You're doing true community-engaged work where you're not only engaging with the community, but the community's engaging with you. Absolutely. Even though I know my community, I can't act like I know everybody in the community. I don't know every household and what every person is going through. People's stories change and vary. And you got to allow people to be stakeholders and allow people to have real valuable opinions and what you're trying to do in your community. And when they start to understand that not only you're consistent, you're persistent, and you're true in everything and righteous and a good steward with everything that you do, it builds this trust 
that happens. You got parents just sending kids to you. <laughs> so what's what's next for Hill Charlotte? What what's next for Greg Jackson? What are some other projects that you're working on? I know you're yeah. you're working on a lot. There, I, yeah, there's a lot going on. I try not to move with the themes of the city because the city always has a theme that it's looking to do: social entrepreneurship, affordable housing, employment, transportation. But right now, Hill Charlotte is focused on neighborhood infrastructure. As I did youth programming, and then we started the Hill of Home program, that's family stability. So we've done rental assistance. We've we've helped 14 families that are connected to our youth program. We've stopped 14 evictions, two writs, and about three padlocks in the last year and a half. And that is our Hill of Home program. That's all about keeping people in the support system, keeping people in the neighborhood. There's 100 evictions that happen in my neighborhood every year. There's only 272 units. And it's like that for a lot of low-income communities. There's, the eviction rate is very high. We wanted to be able to keep people in that area. When kids are pushed out of that support system where they had a reliable mentor, a reliable tutor, you know, those things are very essential to a kid's growth, you know. I lost my first family to eviction, and it just kind of tore me up, and I, I didn't know what to do, but we developed this program. But now, even after seeing that, we need a home as an organization, and we need to be able to house people. That's what we, we're looking at now is to have a Hill Charlotte campus. Right now, we have a $5 million capital campaign to buy these hotels on 85 and Sugar Creek. So if you want to donate to that, please let me know. If you want to hear some extra information about that, go to myhillcharlotte at gmail.com. We would love to get some support on that. Uh, but we want to transform these hotels that are capitalizing off of criminal behavior and human trafficking and uh, be able to use that for temporary housing for human trafficking survivors and single-parent households and then put them in position to move on to permanent housing after that. But we also want it to be a campus where we can serve them and have other social entrepreneurs. So that's the real big part now is neighborhood infrastructure, us in the community owning what's in the community, community land trusts, things of that nature, and, and really be able to make a legacy, a, a long life, a long living impact on what's going on. You know, you got to continue to elevate when you're trying to inspire and, and motivate people to do better in their lives. You have to do the same as an organization. Planting seeds, helping those roots get yeah, strong yeah. and big. Sowing seeds and waiting for the harvest, man. That's that's what we do. That's, you got to sow your seeds, though. The harvest won't come unless you sow your seeds, man. I do have a question for you, though. Oh, me? Yeah. I, wow. For, yeah. So Charlotte now is looking at gun violence as a public health crisis. Yes. And they're looking at a lot of gun violence prevention programs to bring into the city. What do you think of that thought process that gun violence is a public health issue? Well, that's a great question, Greg. And we're actually hoping to have somebody come into our podcast to, to address that as well. In March, our students at UNC Charlotte, we have a Graduate Social Worker Association, GSWA. And it's a student-led organization. They are hosting a gun violence conference. And the reason is that there's a lot of um, disconnection between gun violence and mental wellness, for example. And the narrative always seems to come up where mental wellness is, is the blame for the violence that's happening. And um, we're hoping that I'm the advisor for GSWA, so we're hoping that a conference like this can really set the tone and to have those conversations, whether they're uncomfortable or comfortable, they're conversations where we can talk about the roots of gun violence, who needs to do what, who's responsible for what, 
and where we need to stop pointing the finger at others and just looking at ourselves and, and as a society figuring out what do we need to do to keep each other safe yeah. and to have sustainable programs where we can do preventative work, where we can have information where we can have access to information. So it's going to be a really incredible conference. It's going to be March 20th. It's going to be Friday, March 20th here at UNCC. I'll probably end up posting some stuff okay. on the podcast as well about that. Yeah. But a lot of that, it's, just, again, student-led and their passion, particularly with the event that happened last April. Absolutely. And so um, we're definitely not shying away from the conversation and making sure that it is something that should be a public conversation, an open conversation, where we come up with, solutions and not just we're just talking that we're action oriented and action driven i'm with you on it we're planning a stop the violence summit and that's what you know a two-day summit of just entertainment food fun but also workshops panel discussions keynote speaking and training and bringing awareness to this new thought process of this is a public health issue i'm in a midst of a lot of these conversations of bringing programs like cure violence national global organizations to come into charlotte and address these issues and um i, I realize that there's a lot of money mm -hmm. being raised because of this and i want to i want to make sure that they got the right people involved to actually address this the way it should be addressed which i feel like is more of a holistic way to address it you can't just come in with one way to do it so i was interested to see where you stood on that one man it's uh i like to get you in on a lot of them conversations oh, people are having it. i'd yeah. love i'd love to be part of that conversation so i'm gonna shift gears a little bit and um gonna ask you something that has nothing to do with what you do as greg jackson the activist the community uh individual that you are what are things that you enjoy doing that has nothing connected to to work? I got baptized two years ago, so I am a, a man of God. So I'm always, uh, I'm not praying, I'm Bible studying. I try to stay in that spirit as much as I can. I do still, you know, dip and dab in music. I love music. I love music. That's just something that I'll never stop loving. I love cooking with my kids. I pour into them a lot. I like seeing them in their, their element. My daughter's just starting a baking show. Yeah, so, you were telling me that earlier. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's been a joy to be able to, like, go through a script with her or film with her, edit edit up with her, get to see her and her passion and help her walk in her purpose. So that's really what's taking up my day. Yeah, man. That's, I, I don't know. I don't really think I turn off a lot of the social stuff. A lot of the, it's it's not a button that I can turn on and turn off. It's a calling. You got to get called to do this type of work. Like, you can't just choose to you know, I'm going to help society. It's a calling that you literally have. And um, when you get as deep as I am, so it's hard for me to really turn it off. But I'm into sports, you know, Super Bowl just happened. I enjoyed that. I went to a Super Bowl party and I love basketball. So that stuff right now is just kind of where I'm at. That's, that's all I do. But yeah. Well, Greg, we definitely appreciate you, the work that you're doing. How can listeners not only reach out to you, but how can they find out more information about Hill Charlotte? Yeah, um, hillcharlotte.org. You can find me, uh, Greg Jackson 704 on Instagram, Greg Jackson on Facebook, Hill Charlotte on all social media platforms. You can email myhillcharlotte at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to get involved in any type of way, I tell everybody time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. If you got the time, bring the time. Give the time. If you got some talent, we can use your talent. 
you know, and if you just got treasure, <laughs> it's, we could use your treasure. You know, we don't shame any one of them as long as you're contributing. That's awesome. And yeah. Greg, we just want to thank you again for your time and commitment to creating healthy and thriving lives here in the Charlotte area. Yeah. And, and I know this is something that definitely can happen nationwide as well. I see this as a model for other communities to learn from. So I hope that our listeners out there can share this beyond Charlotte because Greg Jackson is an important individual that everyone needs to know about, especially the work he's doing here with Heal Charlotte. Thank um, you, man. So for our listeners to access this episode, along with notes and information about Greg and the work that he does, please navigate to thehelpinghandspodcast.com. Greg, once again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you here in, in studio with us. I'm all forward. Out, man. Yeah, man. Word. I look forward to um, collaborating with you on other adventures. I love adventures. So if yeah. you have one, let me know. I'll I think be... all your listeners need to know you have a Run DMC shirt on. <laughs> I just think they all need to know that right now. Uh, that'll be our picture, right? <laughs> to our listeners, we want to thank you again for your curiosity and willingness to learn something new. Until next time, remember, strong always, always strong. <laughs>